Welcome to Yolitix, the home of cold beer and hot takes on Texas politics. All right, this is the first for Yolitix. In, in what way? Well, it's midnight. We've done that before. Have we? We did that in Iowa. Well, we're That in, may have actually... No, that, that wasn't midnight. That was, probably that was like later. two in the morning. And it is midnight. We're at an Airbnb in South Texas in we McAllen. Are. We are. And we just watched the Texas gubernatorial debate. Well, we didn't just watch it. We watched it. And then we, we left there to come here and record this podcast, but we stopped on the way. <laughs> for tacos. For tacos, because you just got to do that when you're down. And, and I'll tell you what, the, the taco game here in the Dude. Rio Grande Valley is ridiculous. It's worth driving down here or flying down here just for that. If, if I doze off on this podcast, <laughs> the, the two plates of tacos is the reason why. Man. We ate them on the hood of one of our uh, station vehicles, and uh, it, it was a spread like you wouldn't believe. And I have, by the way, we're, so we're sitting here recording this podcast on a dining room table, and I have packets, and there's no sponsorship here. I have packets of picot sitting out on the table right on the other side of your What's computer picot? there, Jason. It is like, uh, I first had it when I was in Mexico many years ago. It's like an Alka-Seltzer type thing and it's got a little lime flavor and it is wonderful for like calming the stomach down when you have just put in way too much spicy food at the end of a night yeah that that red hot sauce was a little tough i've already had one of these packets by the way wow i've never heard of this yeah where were we we were talking about the debate it's not a taco podcast it's it's a political podcast as much as i would like it to be a taco podcast so uh so before the debate Mm -hmm. uh we had like an hour to burn so we we ran by heb down here because we're always trying to try the local beers yeah and uh, I, I bought eight six-packs of all kinds. Eight six-packs. Six packs. <laughs> now, I'm, I'm curious to see how this uh, expense report's going to work out. Um, I am, too. They, whether they challenge that or not. But eight six-packs. I put it on your card, so <laughs> it, it should be fine. So we, we uh, kind of just dived in. I, I didn't take them out of the plastic bags inside. Right. Very the fridge. Classy. Yeah. So, yeah. So Airbnb. So anyways, I grabbed one. What are you drinking, man? I'm having the wild Texas Kolsch that you got, and it has little blue bonnets on the can, and uh, I don't know who made it because I can't. I can't. Here, come on, dude. Uh, it's in Taylor, Texas. Taylor, Texas. Oh, I love Taylor, Texas. Where's Taylor, Texas? That is to the east, maybe a little bit northeast, but to the east of Austin. Near Llano? Yeah, you can find some. Llano? Not, is it no, Llano? No, that's the other direction. That's oh, out east west. of Austin. Okay. So I'm having the, uh, the Freetail Brewing Company from San Antonio. They make a beer called The Graduate is Lager with Key Lime. Wow. It's only 3.8% alcohol per volume. Interesting. Which, yeah. Must have a lot of key lime in it. Uh, evidently so. That I, sounds excellent. That's Some probably all lime. I need to uh, to finish this podcast and go to bed for the night. <laughs> and maybe one picot. <laughs> and I, I promise you, no sponsorships there. So as Jason takes a big swig of that uh, to, to wash down all that hot sauce that we've had Good, and man. wonderful meat, um, let's, let's talk about this. Let's talk about this. Uh, <laughs> what, what, what's funny about that? Oh, you're still no. on your first one, and you're giggling. No, you're talking about the wonderful meat. Man. Yeah, Come on, it dude. was wonderful meat on those well, tacos. Well, we had we Jeez. had tortillas with the meat. So okay. I I eventually like we put, went out for meat I, at midnight. I eventually grabbed a spoon and just started eating the meat because right, that's what counted. Should we start uh, this podcast over? We probably should. Um, so we were at UTRGV. If you're not familiar with that, it's the University of Texas Rio Grande Valley. It is the campus that is in Edinburgh, which is just next to McAllen which is in the southern tip of Texas. Not quite to the bottom, though. You know, then you're thinking Brownsville, uh, but uh, pretty close. And it is right there next to the Texas-Mexico border. And that's where the debate happened uh, earlier tonight. Yeah, Brownsville, though, is just a few miles down the road. Yeah, it's I mean, not it's, far. Yeah, it's like the, the neighboring county here. 
So this is the only debate between Greg Abbott and Beto O'Rourke. Yeah. Um, Greg Abbott said he would agree to one on a Friday night. Yeah. And this is the one they agreed to. Beto O'Rourke said he would do four or five, I think. He wanted more. Uh, but, you know, that's the thing, too, though. When you are the incumbent and you are leading in the polls, your people probably tell you, hey, let's do one and be done with yeah. this. And, uh, you know, that's something that the, the governor has insisted upon. Uh, some people, you know, have not been happy about that. Uh, and they've also not been happy about the fact that this occurred on a Friday night uh, during football season. Uh, you know, I was live tweeting this uh, debate as it was happening. And, and one woman said, please keep tweeting. I am at Friday night football, hoping I can find a replay. Uh, so that's this is, probably this is the replay right here. This is yeah, it. this is the replay. Yeah. A, a lot of people, you know, were probably in that um, in that boat. Uh, right. and you know, Beto O'Rourke basically came out and said today, uh, that's why he wanted to have this on a Friday night. He didn't want Texans to see this. He didn't want, you know, he didn't want an audience in the auditorium. They, it was the two of them and the moderators, and that was it. There was no audience in there, no live audience. If you're, if you're fast forwarding through this, trying to get to the actual debate, let's go ahead and start the debate. I guess we should. <laughs> just in case. Yeah. But that, that's the reason. And, and for people who follow Texas politics for a while, to your point, uh, this is the Republican playbook where they say, we'll debate, we'll meet you face-to-face, Democrats, but we're going to do it on a Friday night, mm. and we're going to do it at a time and place of our choosing. Like you said, if you're the person ahead in the polls, if you're the incumbent ahead in the polls, like George W. Bush said, you can be the decider, mm-hmm. you know? I thought we were going to get to the podcast, Let's I mean, to the, to, to the debate right. now. Let's get to it. So the debate was, uh, <laughs> the debate was at uh, <laughs> 7 o'clock on Friday night. It's like four or five hours after that now um, over at the UTRGV. And here's what struck me out of the gate. Greg Abbott is a very measured, controlled elected official. For the longest time, Mm -hmm. he was the most liked, uh, always pulled at the top of the most liked, most respected uh, lawmaker in the state. Mm -hmm. I was really surprised to see how he came out tonight. Yeah. He came out seemingly rattled a little bit Mm -hmm. Uh, i didn't expect that he was on the offense um he kind of stumbled over a few things uh, a few of his words he was blaming president biden for things remember he's not running against president biden he's running against beto o'rourke well some people say he's running against president biden in 2024 but that's you know he's got to get through this that's another podcast right first yeah Yeah. or maybe a couple well and and then he shifts over to beto o'rourke a little ways through it i i didn't expect Abbott to do that. Watching previous debates with him, mm-hmm. covering him for so many years, he's never really done that before. He's always been very scripted and very controlled in what he says. He is, and and he always has composure, no matter what the event is. And and I was a little bit uh, taken by that as well, uh, right off the top. And I wondered about that because uh, you know if you listen to the the O'Rourke campaign, uh, it was you know Greg Abbott's side that did not want any audience in there. And I wondered, like, yeah, maybe you wished for that. Maybe you pushed for that. Maybe that was what you wanted. But does that, I mean, it's, it's, an, odd, it's an odd situation, though, too, to do a debate where you don't have that. Maybe that threw him a little bit. Or, you know, you'd also don't have, like, let's say that, you know, somebody else scores a hit on you. Like, if we were debating, yeah. I would want the audience. And even if they start cheering for you, that's fine. Let them cheer for you because that buys me a couple more seconds to think of a really good zinger to say about Jason Whiteley. Like, I don't, you're not going to catch me stammering because I'm going to think about it while people are cheering for you. Yeah, it, it was interesting to see that. 
Beto O'Rourke, I thought, stayed on message tonight. At the end of the day, even if O'Rourke stayed on message and if Abbott seemed rattled uh, out of the gate, does, it, does this change anybody's mind? Mm. I'm not sure that the debate tonight does, but let, let's get to some of the topics. They talked mm. about everything that you can imagine they would talk about, but let's talk about school safety first, mm. because Uvalde is 280 miles from here. It's not too far from here. Yeah. It, too, is in South Texas on the other side of San Antonio, and school safety came up. The Uvalde massacre came up, and I want you to hear this one exchange. I want every parent out there to know that the lives of your children are more important to me than the NRA or any special interest or any other political consideration. I will prioritize them ahead of everything else, and we will take action, and we will make progress. We'll bring Republicans, Democrats, independents alike together, and we'll get the job done where this governor has failed to do so. Beto's campaign continues to spew uh, lies and false information. He said two things that are completely false. He said that we're, we're last in mental health care. The fact of the matter is Texas is now 27th in mental health care because of funding that I provided. Texas has provided more than $25 billion for mental health care in the last three sessions. He also said that we did not fund police radios in Uvalde. Completely false. We provided $1.6 million for Uvalde alone for their police radio systems. You know, interesting thing about that, too, is that uh, a whole busload of those Uvalde families showed up here in McAllen, in the Edinburgh area, uh, before the debate. And uh, Beto O'Rourke was out there with them at a park. And some of these parents got on that microphone and spoke in support of him uh, and were angered that they couldn't attend that debate tonight uh, in person uh, so that they could take this in as well because they knew that Uvalde and school shootings uh, or mass shootings were going to be, you know, on the agenda. Uh, and uh, so they made uh, quite a statement and, and, and that was pushing out over the airwaves in the hours leading up to uh, the actual debate. And, and one, one mom, oh, I haven't covered the Uvalde thing at all. Uh, I, I've just watched the coverage and it's not, you know, it's not, no one wants to cover a story like that. I, I, that would have, some stories haunt you. And, yeah. and, and just the, the press conference today uh, likely will do that for me. One mom said today, Kimberly Rubio, whose daughter was, was murdered in her fourth grade classroom, said that our baby's lives are on the ballot. Mm -hmm. And that just, that, that really struck, with, struck me. I don't think these are necessarily political people, but these are people who have been impacted by the worst thing in the world, and they're wanting something politically done about it. And they were making the point, and Beto O'Rourke reiterated this point on the debate stage on Friday night, 18 weeks have passed mm -hmm. and what has been done. On the federal level, Congress has, has made some action, but uh, no special session here at all in the uh, Texas legislature. Yeah, and you talk about how they're not uh, political. Some of them you know, sort of alluded to that and talked about how they got involved uh, in policy just because of what happened to their kids, trying to prevent it from happening to other people's kids. And I thought it was interesting, even though they supported uh, O'Rourke, they were also speaking to the governor and other politicians. So it, it, it's not like they're just saying we only support him. They're saying we want this issue addressed. So, yeah, we support this candidate. But beyond that, we want this addressed uh, in Austin. Governor Abbott said on the debate also that he's going to make school safety one of the emergency items for the next legislative session. Which is where O'Rourke landed a punch and said, if it is an emergency item that you're going to begin next January, then why not make it happen in a special session as an emergency? If it's urgent, do it now. Uh, and of course, there have been other calls from the family, from other lawmakers, uh, et cetera, who've been asking for the same thing for a special session. 
uh, and the governor has resisted that so far. And if you're if you're if you're Beto's camp, if you're Abbott's camp, rather, this is three point eight percent alcohol beer has already got in here. <laughs> Jeez, lightweight. If you're Abbott's camp, all you want to do at this point, seven to nine points ahead, is run out the clock, get across the finish line, right? Not make any mistakes. He's in a very good commanding position. He's right in a commanding now with position. six weeks. He absolutely is with, with what, 38 days left uh, before the election. But a lot but can change in those days. Plenty can change, and that's, of course, what uh, the O'Rourke campaign's hoping for, and, and the Abbott campaign just wants to get across that finish line. The debate tonight happened about 20 miles away from the international border with Mexico. We're about 15 miles away from that here. The Airbnb, the Yolitics Airbnb. Yolitics are, uh, putting together headquarters this, in South Texas. Uh-huh. This podcast. So since we're so close to the border, obviously, Wheeler, uh, immigration border security were a big topic for folks who were uh, down here. And, and Abbott used Friday night at the debate to accuse O'Rourke, like he's done multiple times, of being for open borders. Mm-hmm. He said, O'Rourke is for open borders. And this is what O'Rourke said. Take a look. No, no one is for open borders, uh, n- not the least of us who, who actually live on the borders. Th- this is the kind of stunts right, that you wanna, get from Greg wanna, Abbott. We I, need solutions right now. I want to go to a follow-up for you, Governor Abbott, sure. and it's on the busing question. These migrants are being sent to states and cities with Democratic leadership. Why aren't these migrants being sent to so-called sanctuary cities in Republican-led states like New Orleans or, or Metro Atlanta? You have 30 seconds. So, again, because these cities of New York and Washington, D.C. and Chicago are so large and have the infrastructure that's available, they have the capability of accommodating the number of migrants that are being sent better than these other cities that you talked about. Uh, There will be other cities in the future that also will be on the receiving end of migrants because we will continue to have to move migrants because Joe Biden continues to allow more illegal immigrants to come into the state of Texas. So, you know, as 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 we came out of the debate and I know that you had to you know be on TV right afterwards and you were talking about that, how that made some news uh, with Governor Abbott saying, yeah, these busings, these are going to continue. You know, that, that really rankled uh, that that was in the news for days and days, you know, leading up to, of course, the hurricane in, in Florida. Right. But before that, man, that was just a nationwide story. And now he's saying he's going to continue that and even expand it. And which cities will he expand to? Will will he actually send to Republican-led states? Right, that was an he interesting... He didn't answer that question. Abbott didn't answer that question. Uh, I thought that was a very sharp question uh, that he got on that. And, yeah. and his response was, you know, just, you know, I, I'm not sending because those cities don't have the capacity as much. But you think of a place like Atlanta that, you know, has hosted an Olympics before, uh, they probably have the capacity to take in people. It, it will be interesting to see if that changes. Yeah, they can probably handle that. One point that came up in the debate, which was interesting and kind of took off on Twitter, Oh yeah, is about the mayor of New York City. Mm-hmm. And the governor was asked whether uh, the mayor of New York City, Eric Adams, had ever reached out to his office. Because, because that mayor Eric said Adams, he had. Eric Adams said, yeah, at the Texas Tribune Festival a mm-hmm. week and a half ago, hey, we reached out. We tried to handle this. If Texas is going to send buses up here, let us know. So we can at least prepare for it. You know, just dropping somebody off on a, on a, on a corner and they mm-hmm. have nowhere to go. Mm-hmm. So um, the, the mayor of New York City said we've reached out to the governor's office a few times to try to just coordinate things. Mm-hmm. Tonight, when Abbott was asked about it, Abbott said that is false. There has never been any calls from the New York City mayor's office, never been anyone reaching out. Mm. And after, then came receipts. After the debate, after the debate, the press secretary for the New York mayor, I'm trying to pull it up here. I'm not. I'm not as fast on Twitter after this 3.8 percent alcohol, uh, this beer here. But the press secretary, uh, Fabian Levy, tweets out, 
Greg Abbott, not only did our office call you about this, but we followed up via email. Mm. Always keep the receipts, folks. Redacted the names because the inquiry should be directed to Governor Abbott and not staffers. Time for a follow-up. And then he uh, does a screenshot of a, an email to the governor's office. And you can see where there's at least three emails, uh, three or four addresses that, that it's being sent to. And, uh, you know, they're making this point that, mm. hey, call. So Abbott got caught there saying something's not true. And the New York City mayor's office tweeted out, it is true. And we don't know when you're going to be listening to this podcast, but as we record that, we can already predict in the days ahead that story is going to keep rolling forward because, yeah. you know, when you're when you're called out and there's receipts involved like that, um, you know, it has a tendency to to sort of live on. Um, while we're on the subject of border, uh, since this was held down here in the Valley, the only debate between these two, uh, you know, we thought it would be interesting to talk to someone in the Valley. And there is, it, it just turns out, uh, that we went to the same university where they had this debate, uh, and I spoke to Clyde Barrow, Professor Clyde Barrow, Whoa, doctor. Cl- Clyde Barrow? Yeah. Interesting. What? Clyde Barrow is the only survivor of Bonnie and Clyde. Uh, the only, uh, not this guy, but there's a Clyde Barrow in oh. Dallas <laughs> who is the last surviving relative of Bonnie and Clyde. Interesting. So and that was his name, Clyde Barrow. Professor, yeah. Dr. Clyde Barrow, who is the uh, chair of the... Uh, Department of Political Science at UTRGV, and he had some great perspective. And one of the things that we talked about was this whole border uh, idea, this border security. Governor Abbott has made that the absolute centerpiece of his campaign. That's what the whole debate started with, was the issue of border security and immigration. And he put it in terms of finances. And I hadn't really heard anybody talk about this. Uh, and, 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 and he explained why the governor might actually get a lot of support down in the valley just because of financial considerations having to do with Operation Lone Star, which is his border crackdown where he has sent all of these state National Guard and DPS troopers down here to, in his words, secure the border. I want you to listen to what he had to say about that. If you put it just in simple terms that the ordinary says thinks about is my job. Well, where's the job growth in the valley in the government sector? It's all in this border security complex. That's primarily a Republican issue. So if you're voting your job and you're in that sector, which is enormous down here, right? It's the Border Patrol, it's ICE, it's the state troopers, it's the detention centers, it's the jails, it's local police. Uh, it's thousands and thousands of jobs. You're going to vote Republican and your family's going to vote Republican, mm. not because you're, quote, conservative, because you're going to vote your job. The reality is border security is not a state policy issue. Mm. It's a federal issue. Now, the governor has made it into a state issue through Operation Lone Star. Mm -hmm. He's deployed, I think, some 2,000 state troopers down here. Uh, He's deployed the National Guard down here. Uh, And and that has an enormous impact, particularly on some of these smaller rural counties uh, west, west of here where they're pumping millions of dollars in the local economies that otherwise are, are pretty moribund. Uh, so it's a difficult task to, to say, what are you going to do? Cancel Operation Lone Star? You're going to pull all these people out of the valley? You all the, empty out all of these hotels around here that mm. depend on the state troopers and the National Guard? So it, it's a tough one for him. I, I think it, it's a, I don't have the answer. I'm not sure he does. So there again, if you're voting your job, you're voting for Operation Lone Star. Hmm. Not because you're concerned about the border, because you're concerned about your income and your job. So, you know, Wheeler, we did a uh, 
already a second one, dude? Uh, that's a sparkling water. Come on. It's those tacos. Jeez. Taking care of it. So we, we did a poll uh, about a week ago, and, and border policy was one of the main things we asked about. Mm-hmm. And by an overwhelming majority, not mm-hmm. 51%, but an overwhelming majority, Texas voters, likely voters in this state who are going to vote in November, said they support arresting migrants. Mm. Two, two out of three said that. Mm-hmm. They support deploying the, the uh, National Guard. They support having extra DPS troopers on the border as well. They also support, 57% of likely voters in the state support Texas building a border wall, and 54%, hmm. more than half, support Texas paying to send asylum seekers out of state. Let me, let me add this last thing here. You expect all Republicans to support this, right? Mm-hmm. 93% of Republicans say, yeah, we're all for Governor Abbott's six border priorities. A handful of Democrats are for it, mm-hmm. uh, likely those who live around the border. It's the independence number which struck me, 54% of independents. Mm. Why do you care about independents, Whiteley? Independents are the people who decide elections. You're right. They're the ones right down the middle who sway to one side and sway to the other. You're right. And they're the ones who decide elections. If Abbott has 54% of independents, that's not good for O'Rourke. That's exactly in the, in the position that Abbott wants to be right now. Well, he's continued to hit hard on that issue as his centerpiece the entire time, which tells you that his internal polling must be telling him the same thing. 100%. So that matches up. Uh, you know, while we were talking to Dr. Clyde Barrow uh, from UTRGV, no relation that I know of to Bonnie and Clyde, but I should have asked, uh, we were talking to him just about this phenomenon down here in the Valley, uh, because the last couple of election cycles, we've been seeing Republicans making big investments down here and making big inroads with their election results. They've won some seats. They've turned some things. They've gotten things that have always been Democratic. Uh, And they're running a lot of candidates once again here. Uh, And so there are some tight races down here. There's been redistricting. So we don't know exactly how things are going to shake out. But while we had Dr. Barrow, I asked him, hey, can you you sort of predict at this point how this is going to turn out this time around? And he had more interesting stuff to say about that. And he talked about how it is an odd thing that these two parties are fighting it out over this southern tip of Texas, and he explained why in a way that no one else has explained before that I've heard anyway, and I thought it was very interesting, and it makes you wonder, like, wow, why are they fighting so much over that southern tip of Texas? Take a listen. You know, I'm reluctant to even try to call these races because I haven't seen any polling on the local races, but I know from what I hear from people on the ground that they're very close, hotly contested. But it it could be a toss-up all the way around. Yeah. Yeah, it could be all Democrat, it could be all Republican, and it could be a mix. I just don't have the crystal ball to say. We'll have to wait. Which is amazing, because if we go back to your tenure here at UTRGV starting in 2014, you never would have said that before. No, I would not have said that two years ago. Three percent's not much, especially when you consider that they're going to be split in some proportion. They're not all going to go one way or the other. Why are they fighting so hard then over that three percent? It has become a national battleground. It's become a symbol uh, uh, of the debate between the Democratic and the Republican Party. You know, if the if the Republicans could flip uh, the valley red, I think in practical terms it would have absolutely no impact on state level politics because it's already two thirds Republican in the state legislature. But symbolically, it would be a great victory that that they could carry with them in the state and and nationally as well. So just a reminder for for our listeners here, people who might not know this part of the state, if you're listening to us from elsewhere, Mm -hmm. this part 
of Texas. The Rio Grande Valley, southern tip of Texas, is solid blue. Was. Still, I mean, it's still pretty blue. Uh, it still is, yeah. but I mean, it was beyond solid. It was navy before, yeah. and and now it's it is still it's still solid blue. Yeah. But Republicans have made investments, as we just heard from Doctor Barrow there, and they've had some important wins in they, a, in a couple of places. They picked up a, a congressional seat with yeah. Myra Flores. Uh, Javier Villalobos is the mayor of McAllen. He is a Republican, right? And and they're making other investments here. The RNC, the Republican National Committee, has invested in I think three different. Uh, community centers here mm-hmm. where they're physically in the community. They have pizza night. They have different events there. They're on the ground here. And, and you know, I talked to the county judge who's running for reelection next door in Stark County, the other way from Brownsville, right up the river towards Laredo. And he said the 2020 election and, and uh, Donald Trump's significant performance down here, no one expected that. He said that was a real wake up call. Democrats have to start looking at at what happened if they want to keep this part of the state because I'll tell you Republicans want it and they're going to take it and they're and they're, they're already investing and they're working down here. And Republicans will tell you we're turning people. We're yeah. turning Democrats into Republicans down here in the valley. Uh and in this last little chunk of sound that I want you to listen to from Dr. Barrow uh from UTRGV, we I asked him about that like are, what's happening that uh, that all these Democrats are turning Republican down here and he said they're not. Democrats are not turning into Republicans. They are becoming the Republicans they always were down here. They were conservative for decades. They've been conservative. They just never called themselves Republicans, and mm-hmm. now they are, and they're voting that way in many cases. Uh, it, fascinating conversation about that and what he thinks both parties are going to have to do here. Take a listen. In the 1980s, Ronald Reagan asked conservative Democrats to come home in the South, which they did because ideologically they belonged in the Republican Party. Uh, The Valley Democrats were some of the last that didn't make that conversion and didn't make that transition. Hmm. So there were a lot of conservative Democrats. And you could take, for example, Henry Cuellar votes Republican 70% of the time. Eddie Lucchio III, a state senator, votes Republican 70% of the time. So yes, they were Democrats, but they were conservatives. So I think what's happened as the advantages of sort of hanging on to the Democratic Party have begun to erode, both in the state and nationally, you're seeing those people move over into the Republican Party, which is something they really should have done 40 years ago, to be quite frank about it. Uh, At the same time, the Valley's a very young population. Mm. You're seeing a lot of sort of progressive Ocasio-Cortez type uh, progressives move up in the Democratic Party. And they're sort of challenging these old conservatives and, and pushing them uh, pushing them aside. I would say, yes, there's a definite transition taking place in terms of party affiliation and party voting. Ideologically, nothing has changed. Mm. It, people are just realigning themselves to where they should have been a long time ago. So do the, are the Democrats, uh, it, it sounds like you have two different priorities setting up here then now. You have Republicans who are you know, maybe trying to consolidate some of this movement that's happening naturally. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it would sound like the challenge for Democrats is to really reach out to that younger population and get them signed up to vote and actually get them to the polls. That's absolutely correct. In fact, we know uh, that uh, not just in Texas, but everywhere in the country, uh, there are three very important demographic groups who are registered in lower proportions and who vote in lower proportions than average. Uh, That's young voters, 
uh, including college-educated voters, it's Hispanic voters and it's African-Americans. Uh, the reality is if you look statewide and, and even in the Valley, uh, there have been numerous elections where if uh, Hispanics, African-Americans, Asian-Americans, and, and urban young people had voted in the same proportions as sort of rural and suburban whites, uh, you would have had a completely different outcome in the election. It's really become purely a matter of voter turnout and voter mobilization. Hmm. So is there hope there then if you are a Beto O'Rourke and you are behind by a certain number of points in, in all of these different polls right now, do you have any hope of turning this ship around by the time you get to November the 8th? Or is this going to be something where you're going to have to go, I'm probably not going to make it this time. We're going to have to work on it for the next cycle or the next. Yeah, and that's what Democrats have been saying in Texas every election for about 10 or 12 years now is that this is the one and it never seems to be the one. I mean, people forget that uh, Trump won Texas against Hillary Clinton by only three or four percentage votes. Mm -hmm. uh, Ted Cruz beat Beto by only one, two percent, something mm -hmm. like that. And there have been many elections like that. The Henry Cuellar congressional election, again, by a percent. So. There have been many, many very close elections where uh, the ideological complexion and political complexion of, of the state could be very, very different if you get the voter turnout. Uh, now, obviously, Republicans like the outcome, Democrats don't. Uh, but I think the idea that Texas is this solidly red state is somewhat overblown, mm. uh, primarily because these elections are very close and it wouldn't take much to flip them in the other direction. I was going to say, we've been seeing the margins shrinking with uh, Republican president, presidential candidates in the past several cycles here in Texas. Mm -hmm. We've been seeing the margins shrinking the past several gubernatorial elections mm -hmm. as well. Um, do Republicans have reason to to worry a little bit? They've had a lock on power here for you know a couple of decades now. Do they have reason to worry that that could be eroded, even if they are starting to do very well in places like the Valley? Yeah, because remember, even if they were to capture the Valley, the entire Rio Grande Valley is only 3% of the Texas population. Mm. Now that's enough to make a difference in an incredibly co close election, but by itself, it's not gonna, going to turn the tide. So he's saying they were, you know, Carter Democrats who became Reagan Republicans like, uh, you know, millions of other people in 1980 when, when the Reagan revolution swept the country. He closes again there with that whole idea about, you know, they're fighting over 3% of the Texas yeah. population, but this is, you know, in part about building momentum. It's in part about sort of an investment in future elections. This is a very fast growing area of the state. You, you know, get a toehold in here and it helps you out. But it's also that nationally, the parties are looking at what is happening at the bottom of Texas because it's like bragging rights to go, look what we did down there. Look, we either held it or look, we flipped that. D Democrats cannot afford to lose 3%. They need every single vote they can get anywhere, whether they get it out yeah. more votes in, in Houston and Dallas and uh, Austin and San Antonio. Or, Which he was talking about as well. Yeah, absolutely. The, the Democrats need everything they can get. And since these races are getting closer, and closer, Republicans are trying to find three or four percent anywhere they can take it to. And if they can come down here and they know they have a, a you know conservative Democratic audience mm -hmm. and crack that and bring them over to their side, 
Why not make that investment? So there's good news for both parties in this. Uh, Republicans able to say that they're, you know, making some inroads down here. Uh, Democrats saying, well, you're having to because we're making some of these statewide races closer uh, with, you know, each successive uh, cycle. Uh, We've been making some of these races sort of uncomfortable. So, you know, we we came down here and we recorded this podcast in the middle of the night. Uh, Wheeler's on his third beer now. Um, (laughs) But but. The, the big question is, what happens from here? You know, d- does this change anything with 38 days left to the election? Uh, a Republican texted me tonight immediately afterwards. I-, I let you see the text. And he said, you know what? Friday night, there was no memorable moment. There was no gotcha moment. No good soundbite that's going to live on and add for, uh, for anyone else. He says this was a draw tonight. And he says a draw benefits Abbott because Abbott is ahead. I, I talked to Beto O'Rourke's people uh, back and forth afterwards. They were super pleased mm-hmm. with how he performed tonight uh, and said they think this is, this is kind of the energy momentum he needs to go into the next 38 days. And that's what he'll have to do uh, because, you know, people always get wound up about who won the debate, who won the debate. It does not matter. It matters who wins on November the 8th. I mean, yeah, you want to have a good performance, but what matters is who wins when everybody goes to the polls. And we've got to wait a little bit longer for that. You know what's embarrassing, though, is that I, I think know. this podcast is probably running longer at this point than the actual debate did. If it's over 57 minutes, I hope people turned it off a long time ago. <laughs> we need that bell. We I need know. that ding, 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 ding bell that yeah. they had Time's in there up. just to shut us up and, and end this thing. So let's just tie it off right there. Oh, uh, thanks, as always, for listening. Subscribe if you don't already and tell all of your friends about us and tell them to subscribe as well. And uh, we'll do it all again next week.